0: So please, yeah, let's open our Bibles at Genesis 41. Uh, it's quite a long chapter, um, uh, but as we read it, let's listen out for um, uh, people's reactions to Joseph, okay, especially Pharaoh. I'm um, we'll start reading from uh, cha- uh, chapter 40, verse 23, and we'll read the whole of chapter 41. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile when out of, out of the river there came seven cows, sleek and fat. There they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt... "'Ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. "'Then Pharaoh woke up. "'He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven ears of corn, healthy and good, "'were growing on a single stalk. "'After them, seven other ears of corn sprouted, "'thin and scorched by the east wind. "'The thin ears of corn swallowed up the uh, the seven healthy, full ears. "'Then Pharaoh woke up. It "'It had been a dream.' In the morning his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told him his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he, had, when he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he de- desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, in my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile When out of the river they came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. In my dream, I saw seven ears of corn, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other ears sprouted, withered and thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin ears of corn swallowed up the seven good ears. I told this to the magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears of corn are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterwards are seven years, and so are the seven worthless ears of corn scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. And now let Pharaoh look out for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these goodies uh, that are coming up, uh, coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt. So that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man? One in whom is the spirit of God. (coughs) Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. Uh, You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He made him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and people shouted before him, "'Make way!' Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, "'I am Pharaoh, but without your word no one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt.' Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphnath-Penah, and to Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, to be his wife." <clears throat> and Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and travelled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored them in the cities. Each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh. And said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim. And said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine uh, began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands. But in the whole land of Egypt there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried out to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told uh, told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians. For the the famine was severe throughout uh, throughout Egypt. And the whole world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe everywhere. Amen. So recently, um, a guy called Michael Ovard, um, a street preacher from Somerset, uh, was arrested and fined £300 for a religiously aggravated public order offence. He was basically preaching to a crowd of people in a high street in Bristol. Uh, and as he preached, um, as he preached, he would film um, uh, as he preached, basically um, from a GoPro camera strapped to his strapped to his um, his chest. And on the internet, you can watch him being arrested. And on the screen there, there's a, there's a photo of of the police officer um, basically grabs his arm, puts him in a in a sort of a deadlock, and, and takes him off to the police station. He was preaching uh, the gospel. Now it turns out um, that he was actually preaching quite aggressively, and it seems that he might have um, brought a bunch of trouble on his own head. However, uh, in the f- there was a trial, and it was a four-day trial, and the prosecutor, Ian Jackson, claimed this. He said, to say, that su- to, say to someone that Jesus is the only God is not a matter of truth. To the extent that they are, they are saying that the only way to God is through Jesus cannot be a truth. That's what they um, asserted in, in the trial. Um, at the very least, the Bible is not true. Um, at worst, um, it's offensive. And um, people preaching its message should be arrested. That's what the prosecution said. So my question is this. In today's world, multicultural, multi-faith, uh, multi-faith Britain. Um, is it really a wise thing to stand up in a in the middle of a hugely diverse place like like Bristol, like like Edmonton, um, surrounded by people from different nations, people of different religions and backgrounds, and declare to them that Jesus is the only way to God, that He is the only hope for the nations? Is that a wise thing to do? Um, for us here at Silver Street. Uh, coming into an area of Edmonton where where one in three people are from a Muslim background. Huge diversity in terms of both nationality and re- religious belief. Is it wise for us to claim that there is no hope outside of Christ when it comes to knowing God? Uh, is it wise for us to claim that all should submit to his lordship? Would it not be wiser for us to be more embracing of uh, of uh, different points of view, different uh, subject, uh, different um, ideas on the subject of religion. Obviously not. Uh, and I want us to see from the story of Joseph today that, that trusting Christ for salvation, submitting to him as our Lord, and then preaching him to others as the only hope, is the wisest and most loving thing that we can do. So that's where we're going today uh, in, in Genesis 41. Over the last weeks, we've been we've been looking at the the Joseph story in Genesis. Uh, we've we've followed him from his his journey from being a son loved by his father, sent out to his brothers. We saw him rejected, thrown into a pit, sold as a slave, and sent off to Egypt. Uh, last week we saw that. Um, That the the Lord was with him and um, he was raised up to a position of uh, responsibility in Potiphar's household. But then he ended up being falsely accused and thrown into a prison, back into the pit, where last week we left him basically forgotten. But as we've looked at the story of Joseph, we've we've been reminded about two things. First, that Joseph's story is not so much his story, but it's God's story of how God orchestrated the events of Joseph's life and his brothers uh, in order that many lives might be saved. So that's where, if you remember, that's where Nathan started this series, looking at the end of the story, where Joseph appears before his brothers and says to them, looking back at all his suffering, he says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. The account of Joseph is the account of how God is stepping in, or God, God, stepped into the broken world to save many people. But at the same time, we've seen that the story of Joseph um, is not a, just a story about some uh, dysfunctional Hebrew family um, and their journeys in Egypt. It's not like an, an ancient East Enders. It's a, it's a story that points us forward to the greater story of Jesus of how he stepped into the world to save us from our sin, uh, from death and from hell. It's like Joseph, he's like a telescope um, that as we study his story, we're pointed forward to something much bigger. We're pointed forward to Jesus. uh, And Jesus is deeply relevant to our lives. So as we've done in in past weeks, as we look at Genesis 41, um, I want want us to see again how it points us forward to Jesus. uh, How Joseph... Um, uh, points us forward to the one who is the only hope for the nations. Um, So there's three things um, to say. Uh, Joseph points to Jesus. First thing is this, and this is the longest point, the second two points are a bit shorter. Um, But Jesus, he is the saviour full of wisdom. He's the saviour full of wisdom. So the fact that Joseph's story is is God's story is clear in in the first verse that we read. Joseph is in prison. He's in the pit. He's forgotten. Two years go by. He's probably got long hair, big beard. But then, God steps in. God steps in. What happens? Pharaoh has a dream. God is orchestrating the next stage in his plan to save many people. And we read the details of the dream seven fat cows, seven gone cows. Seven healthy ears of corn and the thin ears of corn. What does it mean? Pharaoh's baffled. He doesn't understand and he's left troubled in his mind. So what does he do? He sends for the magicians and wise men of Egypt. That's what I need, he says. Someone, someone with wisdom. Someone who can tell me what these, these uh, dreams are all about. Uh, so he sends for them. Those who claim to speak for the gods of Egypt. And they turn up. Egypt's finest wise men, they arrive. they listen to Pharaoh's dreams and they're stumped. They don't understand. But then, just by chance, very, very common, uh, who should be standing there but the chief cupbearer? You remember him? Uh, the forgetful chief cupbearer who, whose dream Joseph had interpreted while he himself was in prison. He'd forgotten Joseph but now he's come into his mind. So, he tells Pharaoh, Pharaoh sends for joseph he 's brought up out of the prison he 's given a shave <laughs> clean clothes um, and in verse 15 Pharaoh explains his predicament. I need someone who 's wise. I need someone who understands I need someone who can explain and I 've heard about you. I have heard in verse 15 that it is said of you you can explain dreams." So what does Joseph say? He says, actually I can't do it. a God can. Joseph is speaking on behalf of God. Who is acting. Uh, and so from verse 17, Pharaoh explains the dream. From verse 25, um, Pharaoh, uh, Joseph with his God-given wisdom explains the dream. There's going to be abundance. A time of fruitful blessing and provision. But then a time of famine. Time of famine. So severe that verse 31 the abundance will be forgotten. Verse 36 it is a famine that will ruin Egypt. But what is God's plan? It is to save many lives. And so what does he do? He raises up a, a saviour, small s, one full of wisdom, one through whom a provision will be given to, to those in Egypt. We notice in, in verses 38 and 39, um, Pharaoh acknowledges uh, this God-given uh, wisdom and discernment. There is none so discerning and wise of you. Pharaoh, in a sense, he's, he's acknowledging uh, God's wisdom. He's trusting in Joseph, trusting in God and what God will do. Trusting in God's mercy. And so Joseph, full of wisdom... Steps in with God's rescue plan to store up the grain for the seven years of abundance, which will provide for the famine. So, in summary, you've got you've got famine is coming. God has a plan to save many lives. He raises up a Savior full of wisdom through whom He provides for many. Does that remind you of anything? Yes, it's the gospel. It's the story of Jesus. Ah, the message of the gospel, it, it's, it's got the same pattern. There is a judgment coming. Not just, a, not just a, a, a famine, but a judgment so severe that no one will be able to stand, that will ruin humanity. It's a judgment that will not just last for seven years, but for all eternity. This is what we deserve for our sin. We have, in our wisdom, we've turned our backs on God We've gone after idols, the gods of Egypt, the gods of this world, the gods of this age. But God, in his mercy, has a plan to save many lives. For God so loved the world, he raises up a saviour. He sends his son, full of wisdom, who has come to save us uh, from the judgment we deserve. Jesus is the wise one. He doesn't just have a God-given wisdom... But he is God. He is the source of all wisdom. Uh, And he enters the world for the saving, uh, not just of many, many lives in Egypt, but but many lives from the nations. So we think of Jesus, 12 years old, in the temple. He's asking questions that are surprising, even the most experienced of scholars. Everyone says of him, uh, everyone who heard him was amazed, it says in the Gospels. Um, he's got this understanding his answers they're they're out of this world Uh, in Luke's gospel it says of Jesus that the child grew became strong he was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him and as he taught as he healed as he drove out demons people were amazed at his wisdom who is this? where did he get such knowledge? we've never seen anything like this before this is our Jesus Jesus the one uh, through whom creation came into being. Uh, and the one who stepped into the world uh, to save us. You know, when we think of the, the, the cross, we often, we often think of God's, God's love, God's mercy. Uh, we think of his justice as, as Jesus pays the punishment for our sins. <laughs> but actually, uh, you, you can't separate God's wisdom from the cross. So it was the same with Joseph. God's, uh, the God-given wisdom to Joseph led to the provision of grain. It's, it's like a chain. And it's the same with the cross too. That The cross is born out of God's wisdom. Christ being led out to the cross and crucified was not an accident. It is the wisdom of God. You now that's how some people see it, isn't it? Some, that's how some people see the cross. You know, Here's this, this Jesus... Gets the big following, great teacher, man of influence, but then he just pushes it a bit too far. And the Romans step in and crucify him. What a shame, they say. I talk with a lot of Muslims. They reject the idea that Jesus died on the cross, again on the grounds of wisdom. They say, God wouldn't do that, that's silly. You know, he's a prophet. God doesn't let prophets get treated like that. Ridiculous idea, they say. But listen to this verse from the book of Isaiah. Again, pointing forward to Jesus. It says this. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge or his wisdom. My righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. The cross is born out of the wisdom of God that we might be saved. God in his wisdom provides a saviour to go to the cross. The hands that flung stars into space are lifted up and nailed to the cross so that we, in God's wisdom, might be saved. Just a few verses from 1 Corinthians. Pick up on the same theme. But we preach Christ crucified, stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power and the wisdom of God. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God and is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. So here's the question. Are we trusting Christ as our saviour? There is no one else who is able to save us from the punishment we deserve for our sins. Uh, It is a wise thing to trust him just as Pharaoh trusted Joseph. But it's also a wise thing to, to preach Christ um, we might end up getting ridiculed. We might, we might end up getting rejected. We might offend people. Um, we might end up getting arrested. Uh, but it is a wise thing to do because Jesus is a Saviour full of wisdom. So here's, here's the second thing Jesus is the one with the highest authority. So, one of the amazing things about Genesis 41 is where it starts and then where it ends. So it starts, he's in this, Joseph is in this darkened dungeon, forgotten. But by verse 40, he's basically the prime minister of Egypt. The whole nation in submission to him. That is amazing. The one with unmatched wisdom, God-given wisdom, becomes the one in the place of, the, of highest authority in Egypt. So verse 42, Joseph is, is given Pharaoh's ring and a gold chain. The signs of kingly authority. He's dressed in, in robes of fine linen. If you think where the story started, you know, Joseph with his uh, his ornate robe with his father, but he gets stripped off him by his brothers, he's thrown into the pit, but now he's been raised, he's been reclothed in royal robes as God acts to save many lives. Does that remind you of anything? <laughs> it's the gospel. Ah, it's the gospel, it's the story of our Lord Jesus. Like it says in in Philippians chapter 2, Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Uh, Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. So Jesus, the eternal son, comes down to sent by the Father. He lays aside his royal robes, putting aside his rights as God becomes a man. He suffers, he's crucified, dies on the cross, breathing his last breath. Then he's taken and put into the tomb, basically forgotten, just like Joseph. The disciples thought that was it. It was good while it lasted. But we know that the story of Jesus does not end there. Uh, He he wasn't left in a cold, dark tomb. No, he was raised from the dead. He was raised to a position of authority. He was not abandoned to the grave, but rose again, defeating death. And that's why Philippians continues like this. Therefore God exhorted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of, of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is our Jesus, full of wisdom, a Saviour, saving us from the judgment to come, but also a Lord who has the highest authority as God and one whom we should submit to. So here's the, here's the thing if you were someone uh, in Egypt at the time of the famine, when, when Joseph was raised up, It it wouldn't have been an option to accept Joseph as the provider of grain, but not to submit to him. Verse 40, all were to submit to his orders. Verse 43, all were to acknowledge his authority, obey his word. Look at Pharaoh's command to those um, in need of grain in verse 55. He says, go to Joseph and do what he tells you you know, we, we don't follow uh, a myth. We follow a risen Christ, a one who wants to be Lord over our lives, um, a one who uh, he is, is full of wisdom, who has the Spirit of God. So if it was true of Joseph, how, how much more should it be true of us as we follow Christ? If our Saviour is the Lord's, there's no way we can be claiming to trust him as, as saviour, but not submitting to him as, as king of our lives. You can't have Jesus as saviour, but not as Lord as well. That's, that's what it means to be a Christian, isn't it? To trust his work on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, but also to walk in obedience uh, to him as our Lord. Because he has the, the name that is above every name. So that's something we need to ask ourselves have we recognised Jesus' authority in our lives? Have we, as it says in verse 40, submitted our lives to him? It's like it says in verse 44, is his word steering the course of of our lives? This is why, I guess, us saying Jesus is the only way is so offensive. Because it means that people need to turn from their sin. Uh, It means that certain ways of life certain lifestyles need to be abandoned I remember when I became a Christian uh, 20 odd years ago uh, I started to trust Jesus uh, as my saviour because he died on the cross for me but I was also convinced he was my lord I had to submit my life to him I wonder is that part of your Christian story as well Uh, it should be because he has the name that is above every name so he's our saviour full of wisdom he's the lord full of authority and therefore our third point here is that he is the hope for the nations if he's the one um, who uh, was raised up to save us from judgement and if he has a name above every name uh, that logically follows that he, he is the he is our only hope he's the only hope for the nation so this was true in Joseph's day The the predicted famine wasn't just localised to Egypt. Verse 54 says that the famine was in all the other lands. Egypt was the only place where you could get grain. And in Egypt, the only one you could get it from was from Joseph. And so in 57, we have this amazing verse that that ends the chapter. It says, all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because, because the famine was so severe. Everywhere. It's interesting that as, as Joseph reflects back on his life, uh, reflects on all the suffering, his time in prison, being wrongly convicted, uh, he actually wasn't bitter or angry. And if you look there in verse 52, as he names his children, um, his second son he names Ephraim because he says, God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. So it's a, it's a reminder for us that, that, that suffering in God's hands is always fruitful. We need to remember that. Um, but, but Joseph's suffering was fruitful. If it was fruitful, how much more fruitful is the suffering of Christ? He died for, for all people from all nations. He saved all those who come to him. It says this in John's Gospel. In fact, as Jesus, before the cross, was praying, he, he prayed to his Father and He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that that your son may glorify you. For you have granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those who have given him. So Joseph was raised up as a saviour, and the nations came to him for, for grain. But now Jesus reigns. He is the Lord of heaven and on earth. He is the one we need to go to for eternal life. Um, whatever tribe, whatever tongue, whatever language uh, we're from. It must have been an amazing thing to be in Egypt, to see all of those nations. I'm pretty sure it looked like Edmonton. <laughs> People from everywhere. Um, but it says uh, in, the book of Revelation, in the book of Revelation, it paints a picture of heaven. And it says this. Um, After this I looked and before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding uh, palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Jesus is the only hope for the nations. He is the only saviour. He is the only way to God. He is our only hope in, in face of judgment. Which brings me back to our, brings us back to our, uh, my original question: Is it a wise thing to be exclusive and claim that Christ is is the only hope? Yes, it is. It is. It is the wisest, most loving thing that we can do to preach Christ. Uh, people will get offended. Um, people will disagree with us uh, as, as society develops it may get a bit messy <laughs> we, we may end up getting arrested um, but that's what Jesus calls us to do and that's why we're committed to preaching Christ to the people of Edmonton and beyond because he is the hopeful nations let's pray Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your Son, the Lord Jesus, our Saviour, the one who gave himself on the cross, that we might be forgiven. We thank you for his fruitful suffering, through which we have received eternal life. We thank you that he was not abandoned to the grave. We thank you that he rose from the dead. Thank you that he is alive. Thank you that he is, he is living. Thank you that he is with us now, among us by, by your spirit. Lord, please, uh, would you help us to, to trust him as our saviour? Would you give us the grace that we might submit to him as our Lord? And Lord, would you, would you empower us and give us a growing, greater passion to take Jesus to the nations. We thank you for, we thank you that uh, even this local church, there are, there are people from many different backgrounds, many different countries. Uh, Lord, we pray that this, this church would become more and more diverse. Uh, Lord, we pray that um, people from many different backgrounds would be saved. That we pray for people from Muslim backgrounds to come to Christ. We pray for, for more Turks, for more Somalis, from people from Iraq. Lord, please would you add to our number uh, for the glory of the Lord Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.